everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Viola, and today we have a very special episode for you. Today's topic is going to be Black Swan events. What is a Black Swan event? Well, in the stock market, it is what's known as an unpredictable and catastrophic event for the market. In sports betting, the term pretty much crosses directly over. It's an unpredictable and catastrophic event for sports books, an event where books get beaten so badly that they might not actually be able to cover their losses on the bets they've taken. Now, sports betting is only legal in 23 states so far, and it's only been legal in those 23 for a very short amount of time, so we haven't had one of these events happen yet. But most books say that they know it will happen one day, and they don't know what that is going to look like. And the closest we've come is the day that we're going to be talking about in particular here, and that is January 9th, 2022. What happened? Well, let me set the stage for you. It started off around 8.32 p.m. Eastern Time. The Warriors were set to play the Cleveland Cavaliers that night in what was Klay Thompson's return to the court after over two years of injury. Now, Draymond Green at the time for the Warriors was dealing with a light calf injury of his own that was going to keep him out of the game. However, the Warriors decided in a grand gesture of the, symbol, the, the symbolic nature of Klay Thompson's return to the court they were going to have their big three on the court for the opening tip-off. Draymond was technically going to start the game. The news broke about Draymond's intentions and spread like wildfire. Betters flocked to the books to get down as much money they could, parlaying anything related to Draymond Green unders that they could find. All in all, books had around $3 million in liabilities that they pretty much knew was fait accompli they were going to be on the hook for. And then this happened. And the Cavs know that, that Draymond's going to do this, and so there's the foul. Draymond Green clocked out of the game, seven seconds played, a total of zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, and one foul. All of his unders, of course, cash. This meant the books now had a very interesting decision to make. Were they on the hook for this money? Was it a known event? Could they find a way to get out of paying for it? Well... Most of the books immediately said no, and they paid out promptly. Betters posted winning tickets of thousands to tens of thousands and even a few $100,000 winners who all, of course, the next day found themselves severely limited by the same books that they had just won from the previous night. Most of them said, yeah, you know what? That's a pretty fair consolation prize for not doing business here again and they walked away happily. DraftKings took a few days before they too decided to pay out their betters, and all bets were eventually settled. But of course, that wasn't the only thing to happen that night. Not to be outdone by any sort of league or anything else in the sporting realm having the spotlight for more than 10 seconds, the NFL came charging through on what potentially was about to make this a truly catastrophic night in the sports betting world. It was the final day of the regular season. The final game of week 18 was being played that night on Monday night between the Raiders and the Chargers. And some astute NFL observers had figured out beforehand that if the Raiders and Chargers played the game out to a tie, both teams would end up making the playoffs. This brought about a very interesting bit of game theory. Could both teams potentially even kneel down all the way through the entire game and play it out that way? Many people knew that wasn't going to happen, but still, there were some 0-0 exacta takers out there. But the real issue came from all of the same-game parlays that bettors were able to creatively build around the event. 
Things like taking the final score to be an even number, taking and combining that with both teams to cover the three-point spread. This was always that the betters could find to tie in and maximize their potential profit on a tie game situation here. And because of the nature of same game parlays and the way that they work on the back end in sports books, the ultimate liability for the book was pretty much an unknown at that point. The books weren't going to know how much they were on the hook for until they had to actually pay it all out. Now, this didn't end up happening. Of course, the Chargers called a timeout in the dying moments of the game, and the Raiders kicked a field goal as time expired in overtime. And much to the relief of sports books everywhere, the Raiders won the game and they managed to avoid any question of paying out all of those tie bets. But what could have happened had that night gone just a little differently, had there not been a timeout at that moment? Things could be very well different in the sports betting world today, and they, quite frankly, almost were. So here to break down all of that, the effects and ramifications of this night, what we could see in the future, how books are preparing for Black Swan events, and so much more, I'm very happy to introduce our guest for today, ESPN's David Purdom. David, thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, appreciate you having me. So I think the first thing that we want to get into right off the bat, with the Draymond Green incident, this was obviously a wild night for so many reasons, but with Draymond's situation in particular, what makes something a known event? Because that is the crux of the argument of the bookmakers versus the betters here. Did Draymond entering the game for the start leaving after five seconds constitute a known event, or was it something that you should still fairly have been able to bet on? Not in my opinion, it's not a known event. A known event is something that has occurred, right? Okay, maybe they announced it that he's going to go out, but maybe something happens and they change. It has not occurred, so it is definitely not known. You think that's what's going to happen. That's what people are telling you is going to happen, but it has not happened. And that comes into the old past posting, which I know a lot of your viewers are probably familiar with, uh, betting on something that has already occurred. And I think that's what uh, DraftKings decided to kind of, hey, we want to look in this. And, you know, they – are the ones that get penalized if they do break the regulations, right? If this was a known event or a past posting, they can get fined for that. So um, I don't necessarily blaming them for taking a little uh, closer look at, at the situation. But in my opinion, it was not a known event. A media report, even if it comes directly from the team, um, has not happened yet. And that is what, in my opinion, constitutes a known event. Exactly. We've seen some things. I mean, even in the Super Bowl a couple of years back when Malcolm Butler was benched for the entire game, Belichick could have come out and said something about that. As a matter of fact, he kind of did the opposite by not saying anything about it at all. And then Butler doesn't go out and play at all. If you had bet his unders, you would have been coasting for the game because he did dress, I guess. That gets into kind of did he start? Or would the bet be action? That's not really the point here. But there's a difference between a known event, something like – betting on the WWE, which you obviously can't do in America, and a known event, like you said, of past posting, where if you're at a game and you see a run get scored and then you try and go live bet that run after it's been scored, those are things that you can't do, even if you're trying to manipulate the system there. But with this particular case, you're right. It was completely random. You don't know for sure, even if it's coming out from the team. Draymond could say, oh, you know what? legs feeling good i'm going to give it a go out here then he gets you a couple points and all of a sudden you're like oh well now the overs have cashed but do you think that 
DraftKings was in the right to wait it out, like you said, why is it that they took those extra days to look into it? Well, first of all, I think they got hit harder than any other book. Uh, my understanding is that most books were down with Draymond props almost within minutes. Uh, DraftKings has got theirs off, their straight bets off, the main markets on, on the props. However, they stayed up in the single-game parlay platform, uh, basically a, a glitch in the software, and that's where everybody took advantage of it. So I think they got hit a lot harder than, than a lot of books, so it was a bigger decision of them. They were probably unhappy with it. Secondly, as I mentioned, the, the sports books, people think that, oh, these guys are just trying not to pay me. Well, no, that's not really always the case. You know, they have to talk to the regulators because if they don't, they end up getting fined and they don't want that. They want to be in compliance. And if they were to take a bet that was past posted on a known event and this would have qualified, they could have gotten fined for it. So they would have been paying out all of it uh, to DraftKings credit. I would add also that they gave site credit to people that um uh, had the overs on there, uh, so they, they they paid out those as well. So I, I don't I don't blame DraftKings for taking a, a day or two to check it out. Um, we've seen rampant um, stack corrections. Um, people have been betting that have been impacted by it, and, and they correct those when they come up. I mean, we don't find out for a couple of days. Maybe the NBA doesn't get around to correcting it for a couple of days. Uh, so, I, you know, why betters want their money, I understand. They want to get it quickly, but there has to be some sort of patience, and the book sometimes have to do their due diligence. So it wasn't so much DraftKings caving to public pressure to pay out the bets as, like you said, them doing a due diligence and just making sure that they were in the right. I'm going to say a little bit of both, probably, because, uh, you know, there was some public pressure. All the other sports books did pay out very quickly. Again, DraftKings, uh, just from the number of tickets that I've seen on Draymond props, got hit a lot harder than these other books. They weren't unable. They were unable to get off the uh, Draymond props off the single game parlays and they got hurt. So um, I think the pressure built on them as everybody else paid out and the public was in an uproar. But I also think they needed to take their time and make sure that they did not about any regulations now in the stock market when a stock is getting bought or sold in large quantities rapidly there, there's fail-safe mechanisms in place mm-hmm. to kind of stop trading and make sure that there isn't too much damage done sports books they don't have that same luxury i've spent admittedly a very small amount of time in the back room of one seeing how all of that works and a lot of it is actually just manual operation. It is people physically pressing a button saying, okay, this is now off the board. And like you said, everybody took their props down very quickly. It was kind of like when credible news leaks about the national anthem over under Mm -hmm. people go, okay, well, we can't bet on that anymore. That news is out there too much. But with this case, it was so rapid. This news broke around 8:32 and Tip-off was at 8.40. I might have those times wrong, nope, but you're right. it, was, it was a 10-minute span right there. It's so rapid, and like you said, they pulled the main odds off the board. But those same-game parlays, that's an automatic computer system, and that just didn't get pulled on DraftKings. That is my understanding. Uh, like you said, it is almost a manual operation. There is what I understand is a, a a search function, basically. Type in Draymond Green, remove everything with his options on there. So um, they do have that kind of luxury. A lot of the sportsbooks said they do. Just this one time for DraftKings, it did not, Some re- for some reason, did not get removed from the single-game parlays. And how much do you think it cost DraftKings and all of these sportsbooks in general? 
I saw over a million dollars in tickets on DraftKings alone. Um, but some other guys that say estimated across the market, it probably got into the three million dollar range. Uh, we'll never know exactly for sure, but it was a multi million dollar loss, and you know, it, in in what eight minutes. It does bring up a really great point. When you have a bad line at a sports book, when say someone's entering odds and they accidentally enter an extra zero, that's not a line you can actually take. That's considered a bad number. It's considered a mistake. If you get that line, you don't normally expect to be paid out on that, right? It's a typo. Um, you know, we, as somebody that's more familiar with, with, with the betting market, we, we know what that rule is. Somebody that doesn't, they see it as, as a public better. They say jump on it, and they think it's completely fair game. I think back to one of the first summers we uh, had legalized sports betting in New Jersey. FanDuel put up, uh, try to make the Broncos, I think it was 6-1 to one on the thing. It ended up making them 75-1, to one, and this is a live line and the final drive to go ahead and try to win the game and you know they 75 to 1 is a ridiculous number a lot of guys that were brand new to betting jumped on it thought nothing of it they're offering it of course it's legitimate went to a big big huge ordeal and FanDuel actually ended up having to put pay out so um, most of those times they are called palpable errors um, that it's what in the UK it's been something that didn't happened and it's a typo like you said you know it's sometimes you put Kentucky minus 27 and it should be Kentucky plus 27 or whatever and, and it happens and uh, if betters try to capitalize it, they're going to end up uh, – there's going to be repercussions. They're, the sports books are going to say, okay, you're done. You're not playing with my sports book anymore, or your limits are now a dollar. Um, so you, experienced betters know not to take advantage of these. Inexperienced betters, they don't even they, – they doesn't even – they can't imagine that there would be some sort of, of error that they would make, and they get mad. They think they should win. I – I completely agree with you. I remember that game and I remember that whole experience. I think FanDuel didn't pay out the full sum. They pay, they kind of give them like a fan experience as well as some of the cash. But I remember having that discussion in Vegas casinos and a lot of people were just saying eh, the, the better was in the wrong there. It was an egregious line because there's a, supposed to be a relationship between the sports book and the sports better. And with the repeal of PASPA and the legalization, we've now got 22 states who have joined in with many more on the way. It is something where we have, like you said, a lot of new bettors coming in who maybe don't understand that relationship the way that the old old school types from Vegas do see it, where a sports book is entering an agreement with you. The better side of the agreement is you're not going to take advantage of these bad numbers. You're not going to try and abuse the system and the sports book, they're going to do the same thing. They're not going to limit you at the counter. They're not going to come up. You try to place a bet, and they say, oh, you can't take that. Move the line. And then, okay, now you can take it. That agreement's supposed to work both ways. But with a lot of new gamblers coming in, it's kind of turning into a bit of a one-way street there, right? A lot of new gamblers and a lot of new bookmakers. Now, think about it. You know, The only experienced guys we had were basically in Nevada. Or you're running your little local sport book, you know, either offshore paper head or thing like that. So we also have a lot of new companies that are into the bookmaking world. And so I'm not going to put this all on the betters. Uh, we had an incident with Barstool Sportsbook in Colorado recently. Uh, and a guy, a gentleman says that he went up to the counter to place a bet on the draft. I believe it was like under five and a half on uh, Calvin Thibodeau's or Kayvon Thib- Thibodeau's uh, draft position, something like that. And they took the bet, they printed the ticket, and then all of a sudden they ran his 
ID and said, oh, wait a second, we're only going to take this amount for you. And not only that, we're only going to offer you these odds. They changed the odds. And that is completely, you know, absurd to me. That's a bait and switch, right? And this is after he already has the ticket. He's already Uh, made the bet. I think that's going to be the debate because whether, I don't know if they actually handed in the ticket and, uh, you know, yeah, I'm hearing only one side of the story. So uh, Colorado Gaming Division of Gaming is looking into it. But when we talk about the relationship between the bettors and the bookmakers, we not only have new bettors that are inexperienced and and, uh, act um, emotionally when something doesn't quite go what they think it should because they don't know quite the rules or don't have the experience. We have the same with the bookmakers. Uh, Bookmakers are not acting uh, all the time in honor. And maybe that's sometimes because they don't have the experience. They don't realize the repercussions of what they're doing. And it's unfair both sides. I, I completely agree with you there. It is, it's supposed to be a two-way street, and with both the new bookmakers and the new bettors coming in, we're seeing a lot of that starting to degrade. Because on the, on the bookmaker side, like you said, there's problems with switching odds. There's a lot of problems with sharp players, specifically that a lot of these new books don't want sharp action. They're mm-hmm. only looking for those public, inexperienced bettors. And I feel like that's a double-edged sword, because on the one hand – I understand you're a company that's trying to make money. Of course, you don't want to be paying out winners. But on the other hand, there's a lot of predatory practices that can come up that you're not even thinking of. Some of the even more basic ones that are taking advantage of some of these bettors are when you see when you see a line with minus 125 juice each way. Experienced right. bettors are going to see that and they're going to know, okay, you're you're ripping me off here. This should be minus 110. A lot of novice bettors, they're not going to notice that. They're just going to be like, okay, that's the line. I'm going to take that. Where where do you fall on this debate? Where Where is the balance between a company wanting to make money and these practices are getting a little predatory? Man, I wish I had a good answer. This it is something that I have tried to figure out for years on years on years because, like you said, these are companies. These are businesses. You are allowed to try to make money and they are allowed to offer their business, whether right or wrong, to who they choose to. Um, some people bring in discrimination and, and terms like that. I think that's a little bit on, on the extreme side, in my opinion. Um, but I don't have a good answer. The one thing that I would like to see happen is what we call minimum bet liabilities. And these are things that have been tried in other markets, Australian and the UK. And that is, you have to, if you're a bookmaker and you get a license, you have to agree to take a posted limit. You post your limit right on there and you have to agree to take that bet to win that amount, whether that is to win $500 on a market or $200 on a market. You have to have that posted and you will take that bet from anyone that is eligible. Um, I would like to see us try that. It hasn't had a lot of success in other areas and it's hurt the books, the bucks bottom line. Uh, But uh, at some point, they have to take responsibility for how they are doing business. And right now they are not held to a high enough standard, uh, in my opinion, by regulators. Now, the one thing that may change that is we're going to see some consolidation. Some of these smaller books are, are going to 
eventually be acquisition targets, right? They're, they're going to be acquired and we're going to get down to fewer and fewer books. Um, while that will be bad for line shopping, I think it will allow those sports books to be more uh, lenient with the uh, action that they take. So um, hopefully that is a direction that we get to where we have some sort of requirement. Circus Sports in Las Vegas has just moved over to Illinois, also in Iowa, Colorado. Um, they are very good about that. You go onto their app, this is how much you can bet on this market. Anybody, boom, done, right? That should be something that I think needs to be required. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I spent about a month working in the book there. It was not a long stay, but it was a very fascinating stay because they do make that part of their brand as a book saying, mm -hmm. we will take your action. And there are a lot of books that frankly won't take a lot of action right now. And I, again, I understand the balance of wanting to make money, but what I found interesting there was the point about as these smaller books get bought up, we're going to see few, fewer, smaller amounts of competition. It's going to hurt line shopping. But you do think that that why, why is it that you think that it's going to make books more lenient? Because you'll have more volume. You'll have more volume uh, to, to manage your, your 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 risk with, right? You'll have more handle to work with. Um, so that will give you a little more. And then you'll be battling for more and more customers. Now, we talk about everybody getting limited, and we've seen other tickets. There's lots of them, right? There's, it seems like a lot. It's still a very small, small percentage. Um, and, and, you know, we just talked before off camera, uh, the handle goes up every month almost right so if mm -hmm. all these people are limited they're still finding ways to get their money into the market uh should it be as difficult as it is absolutely not should you have to go find you know hire your girlfriend or your aunt to open up accounts so you can bet for you no uh, that's not what it is how it should work books should be more uh you know you're either going to get in through the front door or the back door, right? Yeah. And I just think if I'm a bookmaker, I'd rather know uh, who, who's coming in. Now, if I let those people start betting, if I let the sharp bettors, do I think suddenly they're going to be, okay, cool, they're giving me a thousand bucks on this. That's all I really need. No, those sharp bettors are going to try to find any way they can to get down as much money as possible. So um, I... I wish I knew the answer to this debate because, gosh, I I just don't know if there is one. I think this is going to be an ongoing thing uh, throughout sports betting. It, we are asking a lot of big questions here, a lot a lot of tough to answer questions. But with the minimum bet, uh, with with the minimum bet limits that uh, you were talking about, it kind of brings us back into the whole crux of this debate. Like you said. A lot of these bettors that got down on this particular event found themselves limited the next day. And this is a little bit different than trying to limit sharp action. This is something that books kind of has have as a retaliatory measure to limit people from taking advantage of bad lines. DraftKings, to their full credit, they paid this, they paid the bet out. They gave the overbetters their credit back. But then the people that took the line found themselves with these lower limits. That's fair retaliation, or at least it's seen as fair retaliation from the sports books, right? I don't know if I'd say it fair, but it's expected. It's mm -hmm. realistic. It's going to happen. And that is something that uh, you have to consider at this point. And I talked to several people. I had a, a section in my article about this, and we ended up taking it out. It was just kind of too in the weeds. But you have to really factor that in when you're decision making okay i can make a pretty good score here on draymond green because he's only going to play it's a matter of seconds on the unders but i know that 
this sports book is not going to be happy with this and they're going to reduce my limits. Do I make enough money to burn this account? Do I have other ways to get back a different account? Do I have enough accounts at other sports books where I can continue to do it? It's something that you have to weigh in. And in this case, some guys won six figures. And in my opinion, knowing that would be enough for me to burn my account for sure. So uh, and that's what they did. Yeah, I, I definitely be tempted there. The devil's advocate portion of this it's not like the betters were taking a bad line. They were taking advantage of information right. on a line, which books take information and bake it into the line every day. But where this gets a little dicey is when you talk about the glitch in the system, how they didn't pull down the same game parlay options. They pulled down the main odds, but you could still get down that other way. Was it truly a glitch in the system that made it a bad line? Or was this kind of just a, like you said, we don't know for sure. There is an element of risk still here that Draymond is going to play. It's not like the underbetters would have gotten their money back had he ended up playing. Perfect world. This should not be penalized, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Then nothing to you. This is a game of information. I'm looking for information. I want to bet it into the market before that information gets to the market. That's what you're always looking for, right? Information that's not factored into the current odds or line. Real world. It's going to happen. You're, you're going to get penalized. The sports books are going to uh, try to take protect, put the protect themselves from this kind of situation. If they see some people like this that uh, use that information and go after it, whether we both agree that there was nothing shouldn't nothing that they did wrong, but the real world is you, you, you're you're going to have face you know some some retribution. And. That's an interesting point there, information. In this day and age especially, one of the most common things, and you talk about it in your article, is a lot of these Discord chats, which, by the way, guys, you can actually join the Betting Pros Discord channel now. Just saying, got to plug that in there. But these Discord channels are a great way to get unmoderated information. This is a relatively private space that can reach a massive group of people like it did in this particular event and all of a sudden, you have books being rushed by hundreds, if not potentially thousands of people all trying to bet the same thing at one time. Because, again, all of this happened in a span of eight minutes. Yep. It moves that quickly. And we got to the point where eventually Shams was tweeting it out. And that just circulated it to millions and millions of people. But can something like that become a massive problem for the books when you're able to target an event like this? Oh, I, I definitely think so. Not only in your sports betting communities uh, online, um, but you also have now have the, like the influencers, your Pat McAfee's and so forth that are giving out. FanDuel says when he'll give out a single game par, a same game parlay, they'll get you know hundred thousand bets on that specific same game parlay. Imagine if one of those hits and it's you know hundred to one odds or whatever. It's going to be a massive thing. So the way that the bet is, um, the bets are concentrated. I guess is what I should say. Uh, these communities are, are teaming up and getting in all on one thing. I, I definitely think that that causes uh, some risk. Now, let's think about the, the cushy margins that they have on these same game parlays. Nobody is stopping same game parlays. I had a quote in the article from Johnny Avello, sportsbook director. He said, yeah, they're, they're tough. The liabilities are tough, but I'm certainly not going to stop people from betting them. You know, they want you to bet these things because they're uh, – really good margins on the same game parlays eventually will one be very very costly i believe so i mean that's kind of how it is with it's the it's the inverse of bridge jumper betting the people that bet 
massive amounts of money on very heavily juiced events. And then when one of those goes the other way on the upset, you lose everything. But in this case, obviously, the books are amassing all of that money. And then it's, oh, well, one's going to hit and you're going to have to give it back. Lottery ticket, right? Yep. That's how it goes. And that's another big thing that you talk about in the article because there was another event on that exact same night that was even of an even bigger liability potential for the books because of the amount of people who had money down on it. And that was the Raiders Chargers final regular season game in the NFL. Everybody in the world was watching, or at least everybody in America saying, oh, wow, we could get a tie. It was the first incident in no in American sports in history where Americans were actually rooting for a tie game. The Raiders and Chargers both make it in the playoffs with a tie. And because that picked up steam throughout the course of the day where everyone said, hey, wait a second, these tiebreakers all work out this way, everybody was pouring money in on this, and it created a monstrous liability for the book. Yeah, one of the biggest liabilities that FanDuel had ever faced, and that goes around for most books, too. And uh, the difference here is that we had quite a bit of run-up on this. The scenario started getting uh, some exposure in the media that if uh, the Jaguars beat the Colts and the Steelers beat the Ravens, that a Chargers-Raiders tie was in both teams to the playoffs. And that started getting talked about early in the week, and books started seeing money on it. And, you know, when you look at what a typical tie would be paid, Pay at it's about 150 to one at sports books for an NFL game. Uh, less than one percent of NFL games have ever finished in a tie uh, since they implemented overtime, and I think it was 1974 uh, back then. So it very, very, very rarely happens, and to get you know 150 to one or not even really good odds of it happening, but that's usually what you get. But so much money came in on that tie because people started correlating it. Jaguars are 14-point dogs, you know. So if I parlay a 14-point dog money line winner and then I parlay a tie, you're getting like 1,000 to 1 odds, 700 to 1 odds, something like that. So the liability that was built up on that tie was just crazy. And then for it to come down to the final game of the regular season and the exact scenario that needed made it viable for the Raiders to consider, boy, if if we kick this field goal and it's blocked and they return it, we're out of the playoffs. We kneel down and run out the clock. We're both in the playoffs. Just for that to play out like that uh, alone, uh, that was one of the most amazing nights uh, that I can ever remember in my career covering sports betting. And I didn't even know the green thing was going on at that time. So a uh, wild night, January 9th, 2022. We uh, you know, go down to history in gambling for sure. Guys, real quick, remember when you're looking for free picks and sports betting advice, bettingpros.com has you covered with tips from over 150 experts to make it easy for you to cash out. Download the app to get sports betting alerts. You'll get notified of favorable bets based on line movements, consensus picks from the most accurate experts, and vetted systems in play. Betting Pros monitors all of the major sports books, most accurate experts, and top systems to identify the best betting opportunities. So download today in the Apple or Google Play stores. You know, what are the books? What could have the books done differently to avoid that? I'm just not sure 
that there was anything because you can't make a 14 point underdog, you know, plus 200 on the money line. Uh, they were around six, seven to one on the money line. That's normally what you did. You have to do it. And then to think that you're going to offer something ridiculous on the tie uh, that's correlated to it, that, that just seems silly. But then the thing that you mentioned, uh, all the creative ways that guys are going for it. Well, you know what that did? That really murkied up how the liability was. It was very difficult for all the books to see exactly how much we're in. That's why I I think there's the doomsday scenario that they don't realize they can't see betters have gotten creative and they just work this huge, massive, massive liability that night. I'll tell you, I, I, I talked to several books and th- I could tell that they did not know how much they were on the hook for. Right. Yeah. They there's bad. Yeah, th- they th- know. Th- those computer systems, they don't, they don't tell you, exactly all of the different permutations you can't just enter how much do we owe if this if this game ends like this it doesn't work that way and with same game parlays too you get to the point where your liability is really a mystery until the game finishes out and the other important thing here this was the complete opposite of the draymond scenario the draymond Mm -hmm. scenario was a bunch of betters jumping in on something that they had a very reputable tip was going to happen this was pure chance there like you said what defense do sports books have for this? It was a true black swan event where everything just kind of fell into place. You had a 14 point dog win outright against a team that needed to make the, as a matter of fact, the 14 point dog screwed the, almost screwed their draft position up because of winning the game. And then you factor that in with, okay, well, the other game fell the way it needed to. And now it all comes down to this. What can a book even do when a doomsday scenario like this actually does hit, because it's probably going to happen one day, what's that going to look like for a book? Well, you know, I think the largest books will be able to to, to, to endure the hit. Um, but some of the smaller books, um, I don't know. I, I think it will be very, very, very damaging. Um, in the UK, there was a jockey who once won uh, six races in a row. I think it was an eight race uh, event or something along those ways. Anyway, they, I, I talked to a couple of the UK guys about this and they said, you know, that if he would have won two more, there would have been some bookmakers that would have been out of business. They uh, would have had insolvency issues. So I, I, hopefully we never get to that point. But the thought is, you know, I don't know how to really necessarily stop it um, because betters are so creative because of the same game parlays are so hard to track the liability. And if something co- correlated happens and betters get on board, they love the betting public loves to jump on storylines that are kind of funny. Um, if you remember in the Super Bowl, there was a Simpson meme that went out um, that I think had the Rams winning by a certain score or maybe being Bengals. Anyway, there was a ton of bets on that uh, yeah. on, on FanDuel and it turned out to be kind of a, a manipulative meme. Um, but, you know, it, it happens. And whether it's from a Discord channel like one of your own that people get in there and they get a tip and everybody gets on board uh, or if it's just from a general public storyline uh, perspective, uh, there is a chance that we get some sort of concentrated bets on a long shot black swan event that's going to do some serious damage. And the same game parlays, like you said, they can make that so much murkier, but at the same note, they make so much money for the books. They're not something that they're going to quit doing, but they're a very interesting new development. It's kind of like in-game betting. That was not a thing 20 years ago before the advent of mobile Mm -hmm. bet, mobile gaming and everything that the technology has brought us. But 
back in the old days, you simply could not parlay same game events together. Those the books wouldn't take that action because those bets are too those bets are too correlated. They wouldn't yep. want to work out the line because the math involved there would just be too crazy for them to do. Nowadays, things have gotten a little bit different. And as a matter of fact, I do remember, I believe it was the 2008 Super Bowl where Caesars was actually letting you parlay props together and they took an absolute beating on that game because of it, because it was a mistake by them, but it was a mistake they made and they had to pay out on it. These new same game parlay odds, it's something more that we call it the black box, where you go in, you take your parlay, you craft it together, and you're not getting the true odds on it. You're not getting a, this two to one and this two to one come together and they give you the actual odds. It It is something where it goes into an algorithm and the algorithm is baking the correlation into the final number that you're getting. And you don't see how that process works out. And that could also be a danger for the books, right? It could, but that's why the juice is extra, right? Yeah. You, you are facing a huge, huge margin in favor of the sports books when you're betting these same game parlays. Now, does the correlation of the events and like the tie uh, overcome that, that that margin? Some people think so. Some think they think there are opportunities to do it. Um, but most of the time, uh, you know, the, the margin you're facing betting same game parlays is, is unovercomable. You're, you're not going to be able to beat that margin in a long term unless you get into some sort of correlated event. And with some of those correlated events, the the other way that this could potentially happen, and you talk about it in your article, there could be a crafty gambler. It's not that the books are worried as much about an entire Discord channel getting on one parlay that pays out. It's much more they're looking for someone who figures out a way to manipulate the algorithm, who figures out, hey, this is a gap in the system that we don't know about. We can exploit this. It's more those guys. The glitch hunters, right? I think that's what they call them. Glitch hunters there are people that are dedicated and they hire college kids to sit around and just scour through sportsbook odds all the time, looking for errors, maybe trying to figure out how to take advantage of sign-up bonuses, uh, bonus hunters. So uh, there are those type of uh, communities that, that that's how they approach it. That's what they're looking for. And those people are very dangerous. There was a um, soccer uh, mishap and I think it was MLS or no, I think it was, I'm sorry, maybe it was European soccer or something. Anyway, they, they had offered um, like a certain team plus five goals or something like that. Something a ridiculous amount. Right. And they only made it like minus 200 on the odds, the price. So people spotted it and parlayed it and bet it and bet it and bet it. And eventually gaming, you know, they, they weren't going to pay out. Uh, the sports book wasn't going to pay out and gaming got involved and, and basically forced them to pay out. So uh, books are on the hook for their mistakes basically. And, and that has not always been in the case in the international markets. Uh, but to the credit of U.S. regulators, uh, in my opinion, they have held a book's account. Now, what happens, though, if one of these mistakes equals one of those, you know, doomsday tens of millions, 20 of millions of dollars lost that would really, really damage the book? Uh, uh, what happens then? I don't know. But uh, it's something that we have to pay attention to. I mean, nobody nobody really knows because it it's uncharted territory that we're entering here and it's just one of the things that is part and parcel with this new world of gambling we have all of the new great things same game parlays in-game wagering but they also come with some of these risks and even regulators don't really have the foresight to look at these things and say hey this is what we should be doing to get out in front of these things right i agree well 
it is going to be interesting to see. Do you think we could eventually get to a day where a book becomes insolvent? What what would happen in a situation like that where a book says we can't cover the bets that we've taken on this? Well, you you would probably have some sort of bankruptcy court go to go get involved. Um, I'm sure there's something in the regulations that would address this. Um, hopefully, we don't ever get to that point. Uh, books get on and uh, handle their financial responsibilities appropriately. Um, but you never know because uh, wild things happen and uh, t- trouble keeping the track of the liability on it uh, makes it a difficult challenge for everybody. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a fascinating discussion. Your article is up on ESPN. If anyone wants to check it out, we'll link it below this video. It was a fascinating read. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you having me. Once again, you can find him on Twitter at David Purdom, and you can find all of his work at ESPN Chalk. I highly encourage you to go and check it out. He is a fantastic sports betting mind, and it's been a pleasure having him on the show today. We thank him so much for his time. And guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Black Swan betting events, the relationship between bookmakers and bettors, it's all fascinating stuff that I love talking about. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. You can catch me on Twitter at TV at work. If you want to give me your thoughts, I would love to hear them. And you can find me in the Betting Pros Discord. If you're not a member already, sign up today. It is a fantastic and friendly community that you want to be a part of talking sports betting all the time. There is nothing better. But for now, guys, that is going to do it for us here on the Betting Pros Podcast. It has been a pleasure. We will catch you next episode.